Today is a very significant day for the Academy. It's Charter Day, the anniversary, 28th of January, the anniversary of the day in 1786 when the Academy was given its Royal Charter. And it's very fitting that I have the great pleasure tonight of awarding the Cunningham Medal. This is the Academy's premier award and it is given every three years to a member of the Academy who has distinguished themselves both academically and in the furtherance of the aims of the Academy. Previous awardees have been Sir William Wilde, Robert Mallet, the father of seismology, Seamus Heaney, the Nobel laureate, and most recently, Dervila Donnelly, who I believe is here this evening. Tonight's recipient is uh, Professor Nicholas Canny. Nicholas Canny has made an extraordinary contribution as an historian and leading advocate for humanities research in Ireland and in Europe. I think it's fitting that we have both flags behind us. Uh, he's gained recognition for Irish history beyond his home country through influential discussions of early modern identity formation, colonial strategies, and expansion in the Atlantic world. His research has placed him at the heart of his transnational dialogue. As his colleagues in Galway can testify, the fruits of that appear in the remarkable series of scholars who have come to present their work there at his invitation. The list reads like a who's who of the historical profession. He also served as head of a thriving department of history at NUI Galway, as Dean of Arts, as founding director of the Moore Institute, and as vice president for research there. Uh, we were recalling earlier that I first met Nicholas when uh, we were on competing teams uh, in a PRTLI round, uh, I playing for Cork and he playing for Galway. Um, humanities research is sometimes solitary, but Nicholas has devoted himself to building the resources, infrastructure and profile needed to build lasting communities. As our Vice President Jane Conroy said in her appreciation of him as outgoing President of the Academy at the end of his term, it's perhaps due to his perspective as a historian that he has consistently pursued long-term objectives fostered major initiatives and seen the value of alliances. His national and international roles are also well known. As president of the Academy, a minor role by comparison, uh, but member of the Scientific Council of the European Research Council. In that role as uh, a member of the Council of the ERC, uh, he brought the ERC to Dublin for one of its meetings. He also brought the president and shared him, president of the ERC with the Academy in 2014 to speak about research funding in Ireland at a time when uh, it was very important that we heard what he had to say. In so many arenas, Nicholas has enabled so much good work to happen while making scholarly contributions of lasting significance. He is truly a scholar of remarkable distinction. I'd like to invite now the Secretary for Polite Literature and Antiquities, Professor Mary O'Dowd, to read the citation for the award of the Cunningham Medal. Nicholas Canny is a scholar of global standing. The many awards and fellowships that he has received throughout his academic career testify to his international reputation and status. Professor Canny has been elected Corresponding Fellow of the British Academy a member of the American Philosophical Society, a member of the Real Academia della Historia Madrid, and a member of the Academia Europea. 
He's had visiting fellowships in, among other institutions, the Institute of Advanced Study, Princeton, Huntington Library, California, the National Humanities Center, North Carolina, the Netherlands Institute for Advanced Studies, and Magdalen College, Cambridge. The Renaissance Society of America afforded him the unique honor of devoting three sessions of its 2016 conference to discuss uh, his scholarly contribution. And this event also led to a publication dedicated to Professor Kenny. Nicholas Kenny's scholarship is focused on the early modern period. He's the author of four monographs and is about to submit a fifth to the Oxford University Press. He's also published over 100 articles and edited six collections of essays. Professor Kenny's publications are notable for their strong archival basis, their rigorous questioning of received ideas and historical concepts, and their concern to locate developments in Ireland into a wide intellectual framework. His first book, The Elizabethan Conquest of Ireland, which appeared in 1976, presented a new political chronology for 16th century Ireland and transformed the conceptual framework within which the history of Tudor Ireland was written. It set the research agenda for a generation of Irish historians. Skeptical about the direction of the so-called new British history, which emerged in the 1980s, many of Professor Canny's publications have instead located the history of early modern Ireland within the wider context of the colonial world of the British state. Building on the work of David Quinn, Nicholas Canny is a strong advocate of the intellectual value of the history of the Atlantic world, and more particularly of Ireland's central role in that historiography. Professor Canny's international reputation as one of the leading exponents of Atlantic history was underlined by his appointment in 1998 as editor of, a, of the first volume of the Oxford History of the British Empire a series that resuscitated imperial history following decolonization. In 2001, Professor Kearney published Making Ireland British, and the book brought together much of his thinking on the history of British settlement uh, in 16th and 17th century Ireland. The volume was hailed by reviewers as magisterial. The American-based historian David Armitage described Making Ireland British as, quote, a major work of revisionism within three historiographies, the history of early modern Ireland, the new British history, and the history of the Atlantic world. Armitage also noted that the volume was, quote, almost unparalleled in the literature of European colonialism. From an Irish history perspective, making Ireland British was also significant for its use of the famous 1641 depositions. 
as a source not just as a record of the terrible events of that year, but also for the insight that the documents provide into the daily lives of English and Scottish settlers in early 17th century Ireland. Canny's identification of the depositions as a key source for the history of 17th century Ireland was also influential in the development of the subsequent TCD project on that archive. In other ways too, Professor Canny has made innovative use of historical sources. His biography of Richard Boyle, first Earl of Cork, which appeared in 1982, drew on Boyle's extensive family archive in Chatsworth House. Um, and he used it to interrogate the model of the patriarchal family, which was presented in the work of the English historian Lawrence Stone. And Canny's critique of that model was one of the first to question Stone's sweeping narrative of the history of the patriarchal family, a criticism which subsequently became commonplace. In addition to his contribution to scholarship, Professor Canny has also an exceptional record of academic leadership, as the President has already noted, in NUI Galway and more widely in Ireland and internationally. His role as Vice President for Research at Galway proved beneficial to all Irish researchers in the humanities and social sciences because he worked with colleagues from other Irish universities to have these research areas opened up to the possibilities of funding under the government's PRTLI scheme. Without this intervention, the humanities research centres which were established in a number of Irish universities, including, of course, Galway. And the digital repository project here in the academy could not have solicited funding under that scheme. For many years, too, Professor Canning has played a leading role in the academic infrastructure for the discipline of history in Ireland. He has served as chair of the Irish Committee of Historical Sciences, as well as a member of that committee and the Committee of the Irish Economic and Social History Society. I should also add that those committees often met on a, on a Saturday, which meant he had to give up his Saturday to come up to Dublin to attend them. Professor Candy has also been a member of the Irish Manuscripts Commission and of the National Archives Advisory Council. And few senior academic historians in Ireland have served the discipline in such a selfless fashion. At a European level, as the President uh, mentioned, Professor Canny has been a member of a number of committees, including those of steering committees for historical projects funded by the European Science Foundation. In 2011, he was elected, as we've heard, to the, by the European Commission to serve on the Scientific Council of the European Research Council. And there, as chair of the Open Access Committee, he succeeded in having the Commission's open access rules made more hospitable for researchers in the humanities and social sciences. The Cunningham Medal is awarded to a scholar who has made, who has made quote, an outstanding contribution to scholarship, 
and the objectives of the Academy. Professor Kearney was elected a member of the Academy in 1981. In the 1990s, he served on council and as a vice president. And in, in 2008, he was elected president. And he continues to serve on American Academy committees and to act as an informal advisor to the office holders. So in summary, Nicholas Kearney has contributed enormously to scholarship and to the aims of the Academy. He is therefore an ideal candidate for the award of the Cunningham Medal. I now invite Professor, sorry, the President, to award the medal. Professor Kelly to the podium. Uh, President, uh, members of the Academy, distinguished guests. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank the President and the committee that advised him uh, for having chosen me to be the recipient, the great honour of being a recipient of the medal. Uh, I would like to thank Professor Olmar, who is with us here today, who was the person who nominated me for thinking <coughs> that I would meet, uh, meet the standards. And I would like to thank Mary O'Dowd for the very embarrassing uh, <laughs> statement that she has just issued. And uh, that all that has been said so far is talking about what I have done. And insofar as I can respond, it's to indicate how the Academy has done something for me, so to speak. The association with the Academy has been an educational experience that has been greatly been to my benefit. Ever since 1965, when I first crossed the threshold of the library, being a hum humble master's student in history, uh, when I was welcomed by uh, the then librarian and her assistant, who marveled that somebody so young would be interested in books so old. Uh, but, <laughs> Uh, I have continued to uh, work in the library and almost every occasion when I'm in Dublin, when I have a few hours to spare, I drop into the library to read yet another one of those dusty books that I haven't yet read all of. Uh, so that in that sense, my association goes back to 1965. Uh, I had a further association which I would associate with the 1970s, uh, when as uh, an impecunious lecturer, the Academy had small grants available through a Royal Irish Academy, British Academy uh, grant. I presume the British Academy provided the money because Ireland had no money in those days. But in any event, it provided me with the opportunity of escaping from my family for weeks on end and working in the archives in obscure places in Britain, in England and in Scotland, and a lot of time in Chatsworth, as Mary O'Dowd as mentioned. So that uh, nowadays the emphasis is all on big grants and the overheads that they pay. I can talk from that experience that small grants are very important, particularly to people in the humanities and particularly at the beginning of their careers. And that my third association with the Academy came from 1981 
40 years next year, if I live that long, when I became a member of the Academy. And becoming a member of the Academy was beneficial to me in ways that it mightn't have been to others. That I came from a relatively small history department, but one which was very energetic, active, and imaginative. In that sense, I was unusual, because most a relatively small number of academics in Ireland at that time were research active. And much of the time in universities was devoted to squabbling over limited resources. And the squabble was particularly between people in the sciences and the humanities, that the scientists would run away with all our library grants effectively, because they were subscribing to journals uh, which went, were in, the prices were escalating enormously and the amount of money was remaining static. So that moving into the academy, it was moving into a community of scholars, all of whom were research active, because effectively that was the definition of membership itself. And scientists and humanities respected each other's works, and both of them realized that there was no research strategy in Ireland, and that there was no money for funding research, and that much time was devoted to trying to encourage successive governments to give some recognition. The second aspect of association was a goodly number of members and council at that time on the humanities and the PNLA side of it were interested in establishing links with research in continental Europe. Edith Segarra, who is here this evening, uh, and many others uh, were interested in promoting this connection. And it was through such encouragement that I became associated with the European Science Foundation, which was effectively uh, an association funded by academies, but Ireland, being a poor academy, could benefit from the largesse which was provided by the Germans and the French and the British and the Dutch. Uh, and that through that, I was able to become involved with networks of association. The ESF in those days it provided support that is covered by cost today, in that it provided networks of scholarship. And that that unquestionably uh, transformed uh, my associations, my outlook, and my approach to my subject. Because up to that point, my academic contacts were what would be described as Anglo-American. And now they became a European-wide. And that I suppose the third benefit I derived from the academy was uh, with the decision in 2000 to resuscitate uh, the Cunningham Medal. Not only because I am a recipient of a Cunningham Medal uh, myself today, but because on that year 2000, they invited uh, people to propose names, uh, particularly from the older members of the academy who hadn't had an opportunity for being considered up to that point. And I took advantage of the opportunity to propose the name of David Beers Quinn, who effectively, as Mary, Mary O'Dowd mentioned his name, he had been the inspiration for most of my work, uh, both when I was an undergraduate, because he wrote the most sparkling articles on early modern Ireland, and, but also because through his working life, and even more importantly, after he had retired from Liverpool, <coughs> he continued to publish uh, path-breaking work. So I was very pleased. He was very pleased to be nominated. He was even more pleased to be told that he was one of the recipients of the four medals. There were to be two in science and two in PLNA. And he had intended to come to the ceremony. But on the evening of the ceremony, uh, three aged men appeared and received their medals, 
but Quinn was sick in hospital. And one of the officers of the academy subsequently traveled to Liverpool to present him with his medal on his hospital bed, which a few weeks later became his deathbed. So that in accepting this medal today, I am effectively, to some degree, uh, honoring the memory of somebody who had been an inspiration for my work. And I thank you very much for that, as well as for the honor which you're bestowing on myself. So thank you very much indeed. Thank <laughs> you.